Welcome to part one of Health System CIO's interview with Jason Wood, CIO at OptumCare Northwest. In this segment, Wood talks about his team's initial priorities when the pandemic hit, which included converting walk-in clinics into COVID sites, the challenges they face being located in the epicenter and not having a playbook, and why, despite the hiccups they faced, he's very happy with his team's overall response to COVID. As much as 80% of patient information is unstructured and stored outside of an EMR, Highland Healthcare helps complete the patient record by consolidating and connecting this unstructured content to core clinical systems. With a full suite of content services and enterprise imaging solutions, Highland gives clinicians a single view of all documents and medical images associated with the patient via the EMR, enabling more informed health decisions and improving patient outcomes. Highland Healthcare. See your whole patient. Visit highlandhealthcare.com to learn more. Do you want to talk about some of the, uh, the COVID response? Sure. COVID definitely turned our business upside down. So very early on, I remember sitting in um, weekend meetings. So end of January, early February, starting to plan to switch many of our walk-in clinic sites over to FERI sites which we call them. So it's a fever, URI, upper respiratory illness clinics, funneling okay. in those COVID patients into those sites and figuring out ways to bifurcate the patient population so we weren't putting our at-risk patients at greater risk by commingling the populations. That was one of the big transitions that we made very early on. And that came with a number of business and technology transformation. So we obviously changed workflows significantly. One of the things we did was to um, establish gates at all of our clinics, but especially those sites where you had greeters in full PPE with equipment, so whether it be tablets or laptops, able to do some of the check-in process outside of the waiting room which obviously is highly advantageous versus bringing these yeah. folks all into a, a room, a waiting room to sit together. Right. So that was just one, the rapid transformation to telemedicine. So we stood up 750 clinicians on telemedicine in three weeks, which oh, seems wow. if you would have told me we were going to do that, I wouldn't have believed you. So. Yeah, sure. That was one of the big transitions. And throughout that process, it wasn't one day we were humming along doing our operations as we had in the past or as we had planned for 2020. And then COVID hit and there was this single transformation. It was at times day by day or week by week based on the case counts based on what Optum Analytics, the teams from the Optum Advisor Services Group were showing us and the, the trends that we were looking at. We were often reacting on those and local case counts to make pretty significant pivots in the business, mm -hmm. sometimes day by day. Yeah. When you talk about having to make those pivots and you know having this data to look at, is this something that you or the leadership had experience with? Because this whole situation was so novel. Did you have a plan in place to be able to um, react in the event of something like this? I think no one had a full plan for COVID. It was so unique. I think 
people brought their expertise and their training together to come up with the solutions. We didn't pull out a playbook or, or we didn't have really a, a true guide. It was through mm-hmm. lengthy discussions, Saturday, Sunday, throughout the week meetings, talking through what the data showed, what we saw in other countries, what it looked like was trending here. Because if you remember that skilled nursing facility in Kirkland and some of the mm-hmm. areas around here were the epicenter, the first right. big, big surge. So there wasn't, well, let's do what another geography has already gone through yeah. from the United States standpoint, because we were doing some of this in the beginning. And I was communicating this out to our businesses across the country, knowing that they were going to be next. I was often sharing some of the things we were implementing, but not necessarily a, a plan, but we have folks that are highly trained and a number of disciplines that, that were able to bring that training together to implement, whether it be 750 clinicians on telemedicine three weeks or transforming our whole structure of clinics around in two days or four days, looking to convert ambulatory surgery centers over into micro hospitals if need be. It was definitely things that there, there wasn't a, a class that somebody took or an event they had gone through, but just the collective experience. Yeah. Yeah. And, and looking at what you were able to do with telemedicine, I imagine that you're talking about practices that are different sizes. And what do you think was the key to, to being able to do that, to being able to get these practices up and running on something that was so important to care continuity? Yeah, and even to add the complexity, some of the 750 were out in the network. Okay. Think about it in a group, and you can say, well, we've got these 42 clinics between the polyclinic and, and the Everett Clinic, but you just have to account for those variances. We were deploying out to the IPA, which are just independent groups that different EMR have little to no interaction with mm-hmm. most of our portions of the business. So, yeah, it definitely was a challenge. One of the things, it was necessity. I think in the past, we understood the technology of telemedicine. It's not all that complex, but it was the driver of this really being a mandate or required. If we were going to take care of these patients, there was no way we were going to bring certain patients into the clinic. There was risk to the staff, to them. Maybe they were unwilling to come in. It was that necessity that the patients needed this and were willing to do it. The clinicians knew this was the only way to deliver care. You had the payers aligned, government regulation was eased, payment parity was implemented. And so just the the forces aligned. This would have happened, but it probably would have taken a decade. Yeah. And it would have just been very slow and maybe one payer would have made a change and we've incrementally done it. It was just the necessity and, and the teams collaborating. Right. It's really pretty incredible. As far as help desk or support to deal with some of the uh, the challenges they may have had, was that something you had to step up or make changes to? This has been one of the, just one of the advantages of being partnered up with Optum is that mm-hmm. we probably couldn't have scaled to the really the size that we needed to, to be this quickly. So we needed to support you think about 750 clinicians coming on board this technology, it was the thousands of visits and patients mm-hmm. that never used this technology. 
we need to figure out how to support them as well. For the internal support, we stopped some other projects and put all efforts on making sure we could support those clinicians. For the external support, so the, the patients, this is where Optum stood up a call center that we could direct patients to to walk them through this. So you can imagine okay. your typical IT help desk talking to, let's say, just a 77-year-old um, Medicare Advantage patient that's not really ever used a smartphone for things like this. That call is right. not going to go great, or you can't scale yeah. that. But when you can push that sure. off to more of like a member services type function, that's what allowed us to move so quickly. And depending on what happens with reimbursement, which hopefully is, is going in the right direction, is there really a desire to keep this in place and to continue having the telemedicine option? Absolutely. So we are seeing the numbers starting to drop off a bit. So we went from under shy of 3% of all visits. This is on the Everett Clinic side, video visits. Mm -hmm to we were north of 50% as of about three weeks ago and it started to trail back down. We absolutely think that this is one of the long-term options for patients. And we think that you know, there's the whole reimbursement thing. We wanna get away from that altogether. So we wanna mm -hmm. take captation risk on, on patients so we can deliver the appropriate care and the appropriate solutions. So on our capitated groups of Medicare Advantage and others, we can just really ignore the parity piece and use this to reach out to give the, the proper care. Right. Okay. And you had also mentioned having greeters in full PPE to prevent people who are infected or possibly infected from going into waiting rooms. It just seems like something that could probably repeated pretty easily. It varies. So we were lucky enough to be pretty well stocked with PPE, and it was an option for us. You know, we definitely pulled back from it as the case counts have gone down. One of the key reasons to have those greeters early on was to ensure that folks were going to the right levels of care. In some cases, the greeters would provide the option. So just the folks that just showed up at the doors, essentially, so had not interacted with us yet. We didn't have that right. option in a call center to, to talk through, you're coming here for XYZ, are you willing to do telemedicine for this? This would make it safer for all sides. So part of that was providing that, that triage or gating component there, as well as lower levels that are non-theory sites. So if someone showed mm -hmm. up, you'd ask a few questions, traveled out of the country recently, fever, other types of symptoms, you would catch there and then route over to the Fury sites. So we have talked with groups about this and done quite a bit of knowledge share, obviously with the Poly Clinic, we work closely on harmonizing some of the processes. And then this was the piece where we were sharing this information with our partners out in New York. So ProHealth mm -hmm. in Connecticut, that group and a number of groups that seemed to surge later, the geographies that surged later, followed a number of the things that, that happened here. Right. Being located where you are and, and so close to, to the epicenter, 
I can imagine that there were really a lot of challenges there, not really having uh, models to follow. And although you were speaking with, communicating with uh, other countries, that still, I'm sure, was was really um, a difficult place to be in. And is there anything that you, looking back, would have liked to have done differently? Oh, for sure. I think um, things move so quickly. If you can look at it in hindsight and say, okay, like I mentioned, the business was sometimes changing by the day or by the week based on those results. Mm -hmm. If you could know really what the the case counts look like, what the patterns look like, we probably would have made different decisions. I think some of just the lessons learned going through, whether it's a business process change or the technology implementations, we not only deployed VC, so on the video visit side with the 750 clinicians, we also stood up uh, Vivify for symptom checking and patient monitoring. Mm -hmm. So with that solution, we were very focused on symptom checking for COVID. So we were able to push out, I think it was the tune of 60,000 invites to patients to sign up for Vivify and do symptom checking. So if you would maybe enter in your temperature and had you had various symptoms, then that would trigger an event to call into our nurse line and then you could be further triaged. We moved very quickly with that solution and it was a little bit confusing for our patients in that Mm -hmm. they hadn't properly been fully prepped to understand that this invite was coming in some cases and with all the the scams out there that we've seen, even there was a massive one with Washington State unemployment and, and just general practices where people are a little bit sensitive around clicking on links. I think the opportunity mm-hmm. there would have probably been to go faster by slowing down and just you know laying that out in a more methodical path. That was one big lesson learned. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that's why they say <laughs> hindsight's twenty twenty, right? But <laughs> It seems like the leadership team really had to make um, not quick decisions, but kind of did have to act quickly. And on, on the flip side of what I just asked, what is something that comes to mind that um, really feel like the organization did well and uh, is something that you're proud of? Yeah, I'm very proud of the overall response. I, I think the leadership team up here was fantastic across operations and ACMO, so the Office of the Chief Medical Officer and the leadership team under that. I think a couple of the projects or changes that I'm really proud of, definitely the ability to not just deploy 750 video visits, but really fully operationalize that and get to that point where, like I said, we had over 50% of our visits for week after week there for a while were video visits, if we deployed that, all those patients wouldn't have gotten care. And when you think about mm-hmm. the focus and care that, that we're, we have around preventative medicine, that has real ramifications. You want to protect these patients and keep them from coming in. But if you're not controlling diabetes or, or you're not doing CHF preventive care or checks, those have real negative consequences that are going to manifest post-COVID. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what we saw is that admits per thousand in the hospitals just plummeted. And cost of care, a number of initiatives really plummeted 
during a period of time where you would have thought the opposite, just intuitively, that this, this virus swept through the country, you'd have thought our admits per thousand would have been through the roof. Well, folks were mm-hmm. just not getting care. So I'm sure a yeah. portion of that was elective, but um, folks have stayed away from care. And one of the big worries was that we we're going to have folks that show up and present post-COVID with, with serious conditions. You know, maybe yeah. if you can get someone in and detect a cancer at stage one, well, if they come in six months later because they were terrified to come in, that uh, you know, you're in a different situation there. Thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com. To hear other podcasts, visit our website or subscribe to our account in iTunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast.